Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. The finals are upon us. Tatum, Curry, Brown, Thompson, Smart, Wiggins, Horford, Poole, Celtics, Warriors. You can bet on all of the NBA Finals action with betonline.ag, and you can get a 50% welcome bonus when you sign up using the link in the description to this episode. Bet Online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It easy podcast live on the believe podcast network except it isn't live because it's a podcast except it partially is live this time because we are on youtube make sure to subscribe to our youtube also as a quick housekeeping point go follow the comical sports memes instagram account our buddy dsd sold me a an instagram account that he had ran for a while and Instagram's kind of fading a little bit and it's not going to look or feel or sound the same as comical sports memes once upon a time was I still really encourage people to go follow that account if you like this podcast content it's just a great support point it's called comical sports comical underscore sports underscore memes just like the original it's available with the link in the description to this episode again we also have an account called court access and of course the take it easy pod instagram as well we're in the works on twitter also but we'll we'll wait on that for now just go follow the Instagram pages. We have those now. Subscribe to the YouTube. Just throw in all sorts of stuff at the wall and seeing what can stick. So I thank you guys for all of the support over the past six months. When we lost the Instagram account because we got hacked by NFT bros, I thought that, or crypto bros, I guess. But when we got hacked by crypto bros, I thought that like the podcast would fall off a little bit and our numbers stayed exactly the same we haven't had growth we haven't had fall the podcast has remained exactly as popular as it was prior and so i appreciate all of your guys continued support of this here fun fine programming so on the rest of the podcast today we're going to talk about a story that i saw involving our buddy Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's on the cover art for this podcast Um, We'll talk about that coming up in a little bit, as well as a little bit of a eulogy for the Miami Heat. I know uh, when teams get eliminated from the playoffs, we like to do eulogies of teams, and we'll wait a couple days and and right before the finals kicks off to talk about the Miami Heat. First off, let's talk about the NBA Finals, and and really just a macro-level conversation about the NBA, because... We're not going to do a finals preview here by myself. I just am not interested in me talking about the X's and O's of basketball in that way. The top two defenses in the NBA made it to the finals, sometimes even making good three-point shooting teams look inferior and denying the strengths of the the Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo's, and Jimmy Butler's of the world, and the John Morant's, and 
the, it got to the finals and, and Luka Doncic too, even though Luka played pretty well against the Warriors. It's just everyone else fell apart for them. And the Warriors got to the finals and the Celtics got to the finals and all that stuff. And this is going to be a matchup that is unique, similar to how each of the last three finals matchups have been unique. And this is now like a weird marking point for this podcast because it's now been three years since we've had this here podcast. And the first big topic that came up when we first started the podcast, and it was really crappy content, and it still exists on the podcast feed in some places. Apple Podcast doesn't have it anymore, but if you go down far enough, eventually you can find the originals. If you go on Believe's website, you can find the original shitty podcast that we did here. And one of the things that we talked about then was the free agency of 2019. And that free agency of 2019 will go down as the most impactful free agency, maybe in NBA history, non-2010 category. Because every year, or every generation, because I say generations are roughly five years, it's the physical prime of basketball players, since 2007, which was the year that Ray Allen got traded from the Sonics to the Celtics, and when Kevin Garnett got traded to the Celtics from Minnesota, And both of them were part of a a particular generation as well. For 15 years and about four to five different generations of NBA basketball, there was always a free agency that would come to define or an offseason that would come to define a generation. And it was because of this era of player mobility that picked up with the big three Celtics, which then creates the chain reaction that inspires LeBron to form the big three in Miami. And then after four years there, LeBron draws the inspiration in 2014 to leave the Heat and spurn Pat Riley in a fake Vegas pitch meeting to go back to the Cleveland Cavaliers and trade for um, trade for Kevin Love and form a new super team there. And then the summer of 2016 had uh, Kevin Durant joining the Golden State Warriors, which was the most impactful singular free agent move of a generation of NBA basketball. And then we have the weird trend where people talk about like 75% of the 2015 NBA All-Star team or 2016 NBA All-Star team switched teams in the immediate aftermath of Kevin Durant signing with the Warriors, where you had Jimmy Butler go from Chicago to Minnesota to uh, to Philadelphia and then down to Miami and you had Kawhi Leonard going from the Spurs to the Raptors in 2018 over to the Clippers in 2019 and you had Blake Griffin getting traded and you had Kyrie Irving forcing his way out of Cleveland and during that generation the NBA transaction began to be the talking point for professional basketball people talked about how sometimes the transactions were more interesting than the sport because for three years The end result felt like it was predetermined, even though it wasn't in most of the years. It was only 2017 that the end result of the season was predetermined with the Warriors winning the championship against the Cavaliers. 2018 total toss-up, 2019 was Raptors winning the championship, in part because Kevin Durant got hurt, but it wasn't a foregone conclusion. And you had Kyrie Irving moving from Cleveland, and you had uh, Kemba Walker switching teams in 2019, and you had 
different you had Paul George going from Indiana in 2013-2014 to Oklahoma City and then back to um back to the Clippers a year later and the summer of 2019 was kind of the culmination of the end of an era of basketball. The Kevin Durant, Steph Curry generation lasted from about 2014 to 2019 in terms of these are the best players in basketball and they happen to be on the same team. And for all five of those years, the Warriors won the Western Conference. And for four of those years, the Cavaliers won the Eastern Conference with LeBron James, not playing the best basketball of his career, still enough where LeBron James is one of the three best players in all of the NBA between 2014 and 2019. And after the summer of 2019, which for people who may or may not remember, that was the summer that Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook got traded and Paul George got traded to the Clippers and Kawhi joined the Clippers and you had uh, Anthony Davis getting traded from New Orleans to the Lakers, and you had uh, Jimmy Butler going to Miami. It was like everyone was getting to go to the places they wanted to go. Everyone had hit free agency at the same time, or everyone was available for trade at the same time, and all of these moves happened all in one offseason. You had seven of the seven of the 10 best players in the NBA switching teams in one offseason and an entire generation of stars hit free agency or got traded at the same time so so again just I'm going off the top of my head so it's not perfect but you had LeBron James or LeBron James a year before in 2018 switch teams then you had Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving switch teams Kevin Durant from the Warriors Kyrie Irving from Boston you had Kawhi Leonard go from Toronto to the Clippers. You had Paul George go from Oklahoma City to the Clippers. You had Jimmy Butler go to the Miami Heat. You had Kemba Walker go to the Boston Celtics. You had just and Anthony Davis, another top 15 player in the sport, gets traded to the Lakers. All of it in a span of like a month. And it was a massive landscape-altering move for the NBA. And... Everyone landed in the place they wanted to go, and everyone committed long-term, and there was no real supplemental change after the fact. Everyone had built the teams they wanted. There was no defined superpower in the league, although in 2019-2020, it felt like it was Lakers, Clippers, and the rise of the Milwaukee Bucks, who were on pace to win 70 regular season games that year. And after 2019, a generation of basketball was set. All the good places had teams or had their their superstars secured in Los Angeles, in Philadelphia, in Miami, in, you know, what are deemed good places to be in, um, I mean, Oklahoma City ended up trading everybody, but Oklahoma City decided they were going to spend a generation tanking and Boston had had locked in their star players and Brooklyn, aka New York, had locked in their stars. And so for a generation of basketball, everything was set and nobody really moved around for three years. There were, there were little moves in between. James Harden gets traded twice and defines a season of basketball with Brooklyn and how crazy that run was. So obviously there's, there's that moving piece around. But other than James Harden, who I hate to like bemoan it because James Harden was a really impactful trade. James Harden got traded twice in two years 
and both times he got traded, his teams exited in the second round of the playoffs. And with the Brooklyn argument, it's just semantics because them versus Milwaukee was the conference finals. So like other than the James Harden move, which came to define an entire year's worth of talk around NBA transactions, there weren't any other trades. And to me, this year, while it's been pretty entertaining, the parody has gotten a bit stale. And the thing that is probably guiding this is that I'm accustomed to super team NBA. 15 years is my entire lifetime of watching basketball. I'm born in the year 2001. I first started watching basketball closely in like 2013. So like my entire life of following basketball and starting to learn about basketball, it's been about the peak of the sport and the best players of generations playing on the same teams together. And it's a uniquely basketball point that everyone bemoaned when it was Kevin Durant joining the Golden State Warriors. And I never understood the point of that because it was so entertaining to watch the Warriors. And everyone argued that the championship was a foregone conclusion when there was a super team in the East with the Cavs that had the two best players in the Eastern Conference for three seasons, LeBron James and Kyrie Irving, for, during that, it, you can go back to 2015 to 2017, Eastern Conference basketball. The two best players in the conference played on the Cleveland Cavaliers, and the two best players in the sport played in the Western Conference for the Golden State Warriors. You had those two super teams, and you had the fourth best player in the sport, James Harden, playing with a Hall of Famer, Chris Paul, who also was part of that trade package during 2015-16 where everyone was switching teams. And so everything fell into place for a perfect confluence of events in terms of stars matching up with each other. And the NBA dismantled that entire system in part with the Supermax power, but in part because nobody wanted to be the next Kevin Durant. Nobody, The next generation didn't want to have the superstar who decided they were going to team up with other superstars. Kawhi Leonard chose the Clippers over the Lakers. Giannis Antetokounmpo chose to stay with the Milwaukee Bucks instead of having the magical summer of 2021 where Giannis could have switched teams. And again, we'll talk about Giannis later. And so to me, it just feels like the NBA needs something to spice things up. It's been the same cores of teams for years, and one injury or two injuries has the power to derail the teams that we typically get excited about. So the example of that is the Golden State Warriors in 2019. They had Kevin Durant miss basically the entire postseason and still dominated the Rockets, dominated Portland and beat the Clippers in six games and got to the NBA Finals against Toronto. And when they got to the Finals, that's when they were able to be stopped. And in the West, like people seem like that sounds like a problem. In the West this year, Denver lost Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., who are not as important to their teams as Kevin Durant was to those Warriors teams, and their season was just totally over. So you've taken away a powerhouse in the Western Conference for a generation. And honestly, Jamal Murray's injury for two years makes it such that as great a player as Jokic is, he still can't do everything for the Denver Nuggets in a sport where parity is transparent all across the league, even if Jokic is the second best player in the NBA, which we could argue is a testament to LeBron James in that 2018 season where he carried the Cavaliers to the championship. 
The other seven, again, from 2015 to 2017, LeBron James and Kyrie Irving were the two best team, but two best players in the Eastern Conference. And sorry to DeMar DeRozan, sorry to Isaiah Thomas, John Wall, whoever else you want to put in the mix there. Like the two best players in the entire Eastern Conference happened to play on the same team. And it was a foregone conclusion that the Cavs were probably going to go to the finals. Except for that one time in 2016. Well, Toronto kind of got bounced quickly there. But pretty much a foregone conclusion that the Cavaliers were going to go to the NBA Finals. So what was interesting about that is as the generation of player mobility switches and then everyone falls into the places they want to be, it felt like things got stale because you wiped out the Nuggets with two year, two two playoffs of Jamal Murray being out with a torn ACL, and you wipe out Michael Porter Jr. and the Nuggets lose two years of Nikola Jokic's prime, and you know Nikola Jokic is 27 years old and coming up on the back end of his physical prime, two-time MVP, both MVP seasons. His team has no chance of making a deep run in the playoffs because he doesn't have enough talent around him to withstand one injury and that stinks because now you've taken out really the only powerhouse in the western conference and the lakers have taken themselves out with lebron james and anthony davis and so if you take out injured lakers the last two seasons they've just wiped each other out from those bubble runs the nuggets wiped each other out from that bubble run and both teams have injuries that knock them out of the picture So you take away the Nuggets, you take away the Lakers, now you look up and who's next? Well, the next version of that is the Phoenix Suns. Suns got to the finals in 2021 as the two seed, come back as the number one seed, and they gagged all over themselves in the playoffs. But after that, all you're left with is the Golden State Warriors. And so yes, the Warriors are a very good team, and yes, the Warriors might beat the Boston Celtics in the finals. The Warriors are also not the best constructed team in the Western Conference. Now, the power of that is having Steph Curry as well. Steph Curry's not the same type of player that he once was. The last three years of basketball have had the same players in the same places, and it's created a generation of parity because none of the top 10 players in the sport play on the same team. Some people really, really enjoy that. I think that something spicy would make it more interesting. It doesn't have to be landscape altering like the 2019 playoff or the 2019 summer where everyone changed teams or 2016 to 2019 where people changed places three, four times in some cases. Something spicy would make the storyline so much more interesting instead of a Miami team that comes within one game of the NBA Finals and also feels like a team that was like the fourth best team in the Eastern Conference and was not... As great as Jimmy Butler is, was only in the finals because they weren't going up against the best players in the sport other than Joel Embiid in that one round and then getting vanquished by a better Celtics team that happened to play really good team defense. And really good team defense is great and really good team defense can sometimes fall susceptible when there's so many options around the super team. So post-Warriors hasn't been the same level of engagement in storylines of teams, and now the Warriors find themselves back in the finals, which isn't a bad thing. Like, it's interesting as a short-term project of, like, the Warriors sat out two years, basically. They just sat out the sport for close to two years, and Steph Curry had an MVP season last year and couldn't get into the playoffs. So, like, they sat out two years, came back, and benefited from everyone getting hurt 
and the Suns gagging all over themselves before getting to play the Warriors. And I think we're just missing a super team. I think the fact that, I mean, the Celtics are still really good. Like, don't get me wrong there. The Celtics are the closest thing to it, but Jalen Brown's not a tier two star the way that like the Warriors and Cavs had legitimate tier two stars when they were playing together. You can list like eight players in the Eastern Conference that are better than Jalen Brown. Whereas I said in the generation before, it was the two best players in the sport play on the Warriors and the two best players in all of the Eastern Conference play on the Cavaliers. And it made the finals really interesting and there was always a chance that they could lose in the playoffs and even if they weren't going to lose, it was still really entertaining basketball to watch LeBron and Kyrie both go for 40 points. And it was really entertaining basketball to watch the high-powered Warriors offense. And the generation before it was Miami is going to have the two best players in the sport, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, on the same team and it's just going to be a hodgepodge of western conference teams it's going to be dallas it's going to be okc san antonio is going to come up indiana is going to force game sevens chicago is going to force game sevens boston's going to force game sevens against the miami heat it's it's going to be teams trying to knock at the goliath and it, it was really entertaining even if in hindsight the heat made the finals every single year it was really, really entertaining to watch. And I'm not saying that this isn't entertaining to watch. I'm saying this is what I'm conditioned to over my entire lifetime of watching NBA basketball. And so this is just a different flavor. And I feel like the flavor could be a little bit better if we just had some mix-up of players, if we had villains in the sport. And I know Ben Simmons and James Harden was a mix-up of those sorts. It's not enough to be a landscape-altering trade in the NBA because what you ultimately traded now in hindsight we know was trading a top 15 player for a top 20 player in the sport that was the James Harden for Ben Simmons flip is a top 20 player for a top 20 player and that's basically means the 76ers are the same team they were last year even though the 76ers should have made the conference finals last year they're still basically the third or fourth best team in the eastern conference maybe even fifth in this context but Philadelphia was the same team as last year, flipping Harden for Simmons. I'm talking about like a landscape-altering move in the NBA. And I keep petitioning for Jokic to be that guy. Like, it's just wasting years away of his career in Denver. And Jokic is cool just being the guy in Denver. I heard, he, you know, he's planning to sign the Supermax extension this summer. Giannis signed the Supermax extension in Milwaukee. It's just a different flavor of the Bucks are going to stay together. It's going to be the same core of players for three years because they, they don't really have anything else they can trade unless they trade Chris Middleton or Drew Holiday in a trade. They don't have draft picks. They don't have cap space. They, they're kind of just locked in the position that they are with those three guys and Brooke Lopez and then a rotating cast of shooters around them. And that's fun. Like the Milwaukee Bucks are incredibly fun to watch. Watching Giannis is incredibly fun basketball. It just grows stale after a while. So, and I think it's just because we've become we've we've been so spoiled by people changing teams and the best players playing together for the past fifteen years of NBA basketball. The best five players in the sport play on three different teams. The best player, the second best player, the third best player, and the fifth best player all happen to play 
on the same two teams. Like, I think we've just been conditioned to that, that, or I've been conditioned to that, that I, I crave it again. After three years, I'm like, I, I want this again. Because it, it feels like a lost generation of basketball where Giannis is the is as good as Kevin Durant was in his prime. They do different things. They impact winning the same way Kevin Durant did in his prime. And Jokic impacts winning in his prime the same way a James Harden did back on those Rockets teams when James Harden was finishing top four or sorry, top two in the MVP four times in five years between 2015 and 2020. And it just feels stale now. And it's not like the Celtics-Warriors series isn't fun, and it's not like it isn't fun. It's just I've been conditioned to see those Warriors runs and those Heat runs, and it was really entertaining. And maybe that's just the basketball I grew up on. It, it feels like people don't talk about Giannis and Jokic and Embiid in that same context because they usually, I mean, in the case of Jokic, like Jokic lost in the second round in 2019, conference finals in 2020, and, and lost in like five, six games against the Lakers. They had an amazing game two of the Western Conference Finals, one of the most fun basketball games I've ever watched. And then two playoff runs because they don't have Jamal Murray and because they don't, uh, Jamal Murray both years and Michael Porter Jr. this year. They just, second round get swept, first round lose in five games, even though Jokic is the second best player in the sport. And it's just really shitty that a lost generation... I mean, think about it in the case of Giannis. Giannis was two games away from the finals in 2019 at 24 years old. And Giannis is, after that, losing in the second round because of injury in the bubble, winning the NBA finals, and then losing in the second round to Boston with no Chris Middleton. And... It's the same way where they couldn't overcome that and have a deep playoff run. And Giannis played incredible. And the Bucks just got vanquished at the end. And I just wish the Bucks could have been healthy in that respect. Tough shit in that way. Like, it's not the same kind of thing as Jokic. Just someone switching teams feels like it would spice things up. Maybe it's Joel Embiid. I feel like Joel Embiid would make it spicy if he went to any other team in West or East. I think it would just be spicy to see him play because it just feels like everything's been worn through. It's been it's been Embiid now for close to a decade on the Philadelphia 76ers, and it's been Jokic in Denver for now close to a decade. And this was the fourth playoff run for Jokic in Denver, and they never made it further than that one conference final in the bubble. And for Giannis... The Bucks are still fun to watch and good enough to win the finals every single year. It's also just like they're they're just the same team. And sure it'll be fun to watch it again at a certain point I just feel like after 3 years I want something spicy. I want something different. And I think I've just been conditioned to that. It's a generation where the stars aren't going to change teams for 5 years. Maybe the next generation shifts that in, like, the next generation will come along and get people excited. And I saw people talking about that this year. It's like, look how exciting the new generation is. It's Tatum, it's Luka, it's Trey Young last year, and the Ant-Man, and LaMelo Ball with the Hornets. I'm like, it, the, the current generation is really, really exciting. 
Like, Jokic is really, really exciting. Giannis is really, really exciting. Embiid is really freaking... Joel Embiid's seven feet tall and can do windmill dunks. Like, this generation is... Anthony Davis is, like, walking into the Hall of Fame. He's amazing. And he's been hurt the last two years, of course, but people just destroy Anthony Davis. And people destroy Jokic and discredit Jokic. And... They don't do it as much with Giannis. I think now there's a universal respect around Giannis, and people aren't talking about Giannis the way I talk about Giannis, which is one of the greatest players to ever pick up a basketball in my lifetime and might be second to LeBron James. And sorry, Kevin Durant. Like, Giannis is just so freaking good. And the current generation is awesome, too, and the current generation feels like it, it's becoming lost to time. And I think one of them switching teams would make things spicy one of them joining another star from another time or another star from another time joining them. Like if the, the magical chance that Kevin Durant does get traded this off season from Brooklyn, like, cause they don't want to give Kyrie an extension and isolating Kevin Durant and having him go elsewhere. Like there's, there's whispers around it and people connecting the dots. Like if that happens and Kevin Durant is available for like Philadelphia to go get, or I don't know, Kevin Durant's available for the the Miami Heat to go get or whatever the situation might be like if if that's the case it would just make things a little bit more spicy it just have a new per, a new story to talk about cuz i feel like we've just beaten these same stories into the ground now and again the bucks are really fun i love watching them play it could be more fun, is my point, I guess. It could be more fun if you put stars from different generations on the same team. Basketball is the one sport that has a construct where that can exist. It can't really exist in the same way in football. It can't quite exist in the same way in baseball because singular players don't impact the sport that much. Hockey has a version of it, although hockey's singular stars do make more of an impact. Like the Tampa Bay Lightning are the closest equivalent to that now. I think I just need the, the the quality of play is diminished relative to what I used to know. And if you take that away, it's still incredibly entertaining. It's just only when compared to what things used to be that quality of play is diminished a little bit. And also the Clippers going down too diminished that. Like the Lakers, the Clippers, the Nuggets, they could make Western Conference basketball more exciting right there with the Suns and the Warriors it's just not because all those teams aren't there. And and all we're left with is like, oh, let's get ready for Memphis and Dallas and the T-Wolves, even though they're like years and years away from being competitive teams without the help of like adding another star right now. Like if Embiid goes to, to Dallas, okay, that changes their timeline significantly. But l- let's have something like that happen. Let's just have a generational talent or a future generational talent or a past generational talent just have one of the 10 best players in the sport switch teams it's been three years they've been all on the same teams can we spice it up a little bit for next year and this isn't to bemoan the fact that it exists it's just like celtics and warriors and Suns and bucks i i think the bucks are the closest version of this like the, the the like i think the bucks were super duper fun last year and they're super duper fun this year and Phoenix was like a second round exit type of team last year. Like, can we get what we had with Milwaukee and Brooklyn? Cause like Milwaukee and Brooklyn was super fun. And that used to exist with rockets and warriors. And it used to exist with Cavs and warriors every single year. It would be a spectacle and the pinnacle of the sport. 
And I guess I just miss that part of it. It's not like this isn't fun. At the same time, I just, I just want something spicy. Just something spectacular to switch things up a little. And Joel Embiid forces way to the Clippers and pair with Kawhi Leonard. Like, can we just get something like that? Could Jokic go to Phoenix? Could Giannis finally work his way out of Milwaukee? Can we just get something a little bit more spicy? And it's only because of the context that I'm comparing it to with what past generations of basketball used to be and and how fun it feels like it used to be. Not that this isn't fun. It's just I'm used to seeing the pinnacle of that sport and I'm pro super team. And I guess it's just been years now where I'm just waiting for something to make it different. And Boston gets to the final. I mean, if Miami had gotten to the finals, it would have been the perfect example of this is like the Miami Heat with Jimmy Butler as their best player in the core of the team, making two of the last three NBA Finals in a conference that has Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid. Like, that just that shouldn't happen because Miami Heat in 2020 will go down as one of the weakest teams to ever make the NBA Finals. And if they had made the Finals this year, they would have also gone down as one of the weakest teams in the last 20 years to ever make it to the NBA Finals. So you've lowered the quality of play simply because you've removed super teams, and that's okay. It's just it's a different style. I just want something spicy. You don't have to get rid of all of it. Just needs something spicy. Joel Embiid on the Clippers, Jokic on the Suns, Giannis switching teams, Durant switching teams, Anthony Davis switching teams. Something spicy to shake things up a bit. That's my request headed into whatever this offseason might be. I wanted to play the ram it. Do you know how to ram it? Just ram it. I wanted to play our meme song of the 1980s, Los Angeles Ram, Los Angeles Rams anthem. Just because the big story in football in the middle of June, well, I guess the start of June, in the the dead of the off season in the NFL is will Aaron Donald retire or will Aaron Donald not retire based on whether he gets a thirty million dollar contract or not. If I'm the Rams, I'm paying them. If I'm Aaron Donald, I don't need the contract. Football's a really dangerous game. You're 31 years old. Just walk away. Nothing left to prove. 
Nothing left to prove. Football will destroy your body on the back ends of your career, and you don't need that. Just walk away. Enjoy yourself, Aaron Donald. I argued that point after the Super Bowl last year, and I will still argue it now. That the money might be nice? I think you, if you get it, great. You're not in a desperate position. Just be fine walking away. Football will really mess with your body a little bit. Just 31 years old, first ballot Hall of Famer, won the Super first defensive player I've seen in a while who's like the reason that a team won a Super Bowl. Just walk away. You're good. Nothing left to prove, Aaron. You're, you're absolutely set. All right, let's talk about the Miami Heat. And this is going to be kind of a eulogy of the Miami Heat and kind of the thing I was talking about in the last segment of the podcast where it's like, oh yeah, the Miami Heat, they are definitely in a position to make a move this offseason and they can make things spicy by making a trade. Um, The Miami Heat are in a similar place to a lot of these teams where upgrading the roster is kind of the biggest point of contention. And I know everyone's going to connect Donovan Mitchell to the Miami Heat this offseason and I don't think it's going to happen because Miami can't make the best offer for Donovan Mitchell if this is like a breaking point for the Utah Jazz and they're breaking the two up. I think the more likely scenario is they they trade Rudy Gobert. Again, Phoenix flip Gobert for Rudy uh flip Gobert for DeAndre Ayton. It would work out great for you guys. It, would, it probably wouldn't deliver a championship, it would at least give you a defensive presence inside. But anyways, the thing that's interesting about that is If Miami wanted to get in the game, they actually can. Because there was a quiet move that no one talked about, nor should they. It it was just a pick swap. Is that Miami traded their 2023 pick years and years ago as part of a way to acquire Jimmy Butler in the first place. So that pick ended up going to the Clippers in 2019. The Clippers then sent that pick to Oklahoma City as part of the trade to acquire Paul George. And what happened was Miami traded back their pick from OKC in exchange for their 2025 first round pick. And there's like some top protections on it and whatever. But basically, Miami got back their 2023 draft pick in such a way that they actually can trade draft picks now. Because people may or may not remember when James Harden was first being talked about in a trade from the Rockets in 2020. Miami was in the game on James Harden. They're like, we can package Tyler Hero, and we can package Duncan Robinson, and we can package all these different people, and we can go get James Harden. And the thing that they didn't have working for them was Brooklyn could offer seven first-round picks for James Harden, like four firsts and three pick swaps and whatever it ended up being, one from Milwaukee, one from Cleveland, send Jared Allen away. They basically walked away with seven first-round picks for James Harden, while the best Miami could offer was Tyler Hero. And at the time, Tyler Hero might have been worth two or three first-round picks. It just wasn't the value that James Harden was commanding. And so Miami now actually has draft picks that they can move in trades, not just this one, but also like 2027 and 2028 picks. They waited two years, they made this one trade, and now they have the power to trade draft picks again. And the idea for Miami is... We get our 2023 pick back. We defer the other pick down the road to 2025. 20, uh, and now we can trade our 2022 first, our 2023 first, our 2024 first round pick, and 2027, 2028, whatever it might be. We have all of those picks at our disposal to go get a bona fide star if and when bona fide star becomes available. 
So if Donovan Mitchell is that guy, and Donovan Mitchell, I, I talked about in the last segment, can we get a top 10 player changing teams? So ideally it would be Joel Embiid. If it's not going to be Joel Embiid or Giannis, let's say that uh, the the Utah Jazz are engaging in a trade for Donovan Mitchell. How would the Miami Heat make it work? So build the same package that you were going to do for James Harden back in 2020. Tyler Hero, centerpiece of the trade, Duncan Robinson, Gabe Vincent as a third piece. They'd have to make the money work. So the piece that they would throw in is Michael Mulder, I think his name is. But he's just a deep bench guy on the heat that's making a million dollars. And that's just final piece that goes in there to make the money work. They need like $200,000 to make the money work on the trade. So they trade those four players and you throw in two to three of those draft picks. So say it's this year's first round pick in 2022. Well, that's going to be like 27, 28 pick, whatever it is. You throw in a first round pick in 2023, which you can do because in the NBA, there's the rule you can't trade picks in back-to-back years. You can make that trade as long as you wait until after the NBA draft passes to make the trade official. So they draft the 2022 first rounder for Utah and then trade them to Utah, trade their 2023 pick to Utah, and then throw in like a 2027 or 2028 pick, which is like six years down the road. It's just the pick Miami has at their disposal. So Miami can trade Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, because Duncan Robinson's contract makes the money work. Tyler Hero is coming up on a rookie extension. So if it Utah gives them $30 million a year incentive for Tyler Hero to sign up for five years. So Utah's getting five years of Tyler Hero. They're getting Duncan Robinson for three years uh, and three first-round picks. Gabe Vincent and, and Michael Mulder are kind of throw-in picks, and you can always trade Duncan Robinson again to ideally Sacramento. But like they could realistically make it work, and maybe it's going to require some collusion to get Donovan Mitchell there. Let's not pretend that collusion isn't just a common thing in the NBA. It might take some collusion to get him there. It's really doable for Miami, and that wasn't the case when they were trying to trade for Harden back in 2020. So it's interesting. Miami's got all these different options at their disposal now, and Donovan Mitchell doesn't solve all their problems, but it does the thing that they have to do, and Memphis has to do, and Dallas has to do, and I guess to a certain extent, the Philadelphia 76ers have to contemplate upgrading the roster. Upgrading the roster is the thing that's going to get these teams over the edge. And ideally, it would be a top 10 player in the league being available to switch teams, whether it's Damian Lillard or Joel Embiid. Everyone seems to have adopted the Damian Lillard mold, by the way. That was something I forgot to add to the last segment of the podcast also. It's like everyone seems to be following the Lillard mold, and it's not actually as fun as people thought it would be. But still, uh, you have the, the Miami Heat needing some kind of upgrade to the roster because like even though they were one game away from the finals this year if they had made the finals they would have lost in four or five games to the Warriors and they would have gone down as one of the weakest teams to make the finals since they made the finals in 2020 with basically the same core of the team so it's interesting that Miami finds themselves in that place and if Mitchell is available that's a move to get a volume scorer to go alongside Jimmy Butler does it solve all their problems no is it a move to create a super team no not at all it just makes the Miami Heat better than they were yesterday So I wanted to wrap up today's podcast by talking a little bit about Giannis Antetokounmpo, who you see his face on our cover art for this podcast, and he's the NBA champion from last year and the best player in basketball and the third, second, third best player I've ever watched play basketball in my lifetime. 
Giannis Antetokounmpo is incredible. And I saw during the Eastern Conference Final broadcast that Giannis's story is getting a Disney movie. They're doing a Disney movie. One of these, uh, you know, inspirational sports Disney stories is going to be made about Giannis Antetokounmpo and his three brothers. And they do say in the story that it's like based on their story and they use all their names and such like that. Although it's not a biographical story. It's a scripted story based on the real events and it changed a little bit for details. Similar to what happened with the Winning Time documentary with Adam McKay around the Lakers. that Or the Winning Time show, not a documentary. It was a Winning Time show based on a book that is not an, a biographical documentary with research and such. They take real events and change some of the details. And Disney movies are always about, I mean, it's going to Disney Plus, so they're about feel-good stories usually, and the Disney movies end up having some level of like, wow, look at this uh, after-school special, I believe is how Dan Lebetard calls it, kind of like what the, the King Richard documentary was, it's like, it's a little bit after-school specially. And I saw, I was looking up in research that Giannis and his brothers are going to be executive producers on this documentary which means that they have some level of creative say and they're actually having input on this which I guess is to be expected around some of these stories the same way Serena Williams was and Venus Williams were executive producers on the King Richard documentary and how Michael Jordan was an executive producer on The Last Dance and it's not going to be a biographical detailed story like the book that we read last year by Mirren Fader or I read last year and we talked about as a book club segment back in August about Giannis, the rise, the improbable rise of an NBA MVP and now NBA champion and player of a generation. And the Disney Plus story is going to be something that is probably more viewed than the book. That's just the state of entertainment in America and Disney's stronghold on entertainment markets and all of that stuff and just people's desires for some of that feel-good Disney type of stories that Disney has corrected a little bit in past years and they've done different types of stories with more real-life narratives around it and, and they've done their best around that. This is going to be a case where I have a feeling that the feel-good parts and the parts that are inspirational around the story are going to be framed within the context of look at this rags to riches story and the rags to riches story is you go from a foreign country living in poverty which is the story of Giannis Antetokounmpo and you overcome obstacles and anyone can achieve like this American dream type of mantra I have a feeling that's the story they're going to go for I'm not sure if that's correct or not. It's the story that Giannis has told in the past and the story that a lot of people have gotten around Giannis in terms of like, where did he come from? It's a stereotypical rags to riches story, except it's international and all that stuff. And what you, when this is an American story and we stereotypically talk about the black athlete, I mean, again, this is from 20 years ago and 10 years ago. It's not the same case now. But when we stereotypically talk about the black athlete, living in a single-parent home, overcoming poverty, and getting out of their situation to achieve NBA stardom, which was the stereotypical story for dozens and dozens of stars from previous generations. You could talk about Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, 
These are this is the the narratives that the NBA was built upon. Derrick Rose, same situation, and uh, building up all the way. I mean, Derrick Derrick Rose, different case, but same idea with John Wall. And you can go down the list of players who that was the narrative that they were their stories were built upon was broken homes and poverty and overcoming these rags to riches stories. And it's a true American dream is alive situation. That's the stereotypical mold that we still talk about these sports stars in even though the contexts have totally changed around sports stars. Because the world has changed around us. Social change has existed. We've worked to fight poverty in America over the past 20 years. It hasn't been perfect. It's still lifted more people out of abject poverty than ever before. What we're talking about in the case of Giannis Antetokounmpo, and this is the book that Mirren Fader helped me understand a little better, is completely different than the stereotypical rags-to-riches stories that America and Disney have been telling through the documentary movie-style show for years upon years upon years, and it's similar to what King Richard... I hear, I haven't watched King Richard, but it's similar to what that was, and it's similar to what these documentary types are, is that stereotypical rags-to-riches American dream story being brought to international conflict and being brought to a Giannis story that is going to make people feel good because it's that same rags to riches idea of look at the struggle, here's the hardship, and here we go forward. I wonder if the Disney Plus documentary is going to talk about the fact that Giannis Antetokounmpo did not eat food for days at a time. I wonder if they're going to talk about the fact that they had to go on the bus every single day for years upon years to get there. Or the fact that Giannis Antetokounmpo quit basketball for months at a time simply because they couldn't get back and forth. Or the fact that, I mean, they'll probably do the sleeping in the gym story and they'll be like, wow, look at this, sleeping in the gym because he didn't want to go home. He didn't want to talk about how his family situation made him incredibly depressed. It might, it'll tell the story about them selling trinkets. It won't tell the story about them having to sell cards to people or sell Christmas carols to people and how they would be looked down upon because they were little black boys in a predominantly ethnic Greece where Greece as a country didn't have the same type of melting pot situation based on their history. And so black children were looked down upon especially hard in Greece because it's all of the same problems of racism in America combined with the fact that the large majority of the Greek population is ethnically from that region. They're not kids from Nigeria who, uh, combined with the fact that it's like a double, triple jeopardy situation of you have immigrants who aren't guaranteed birthright citizenship in Greece, even though Giannis's parents moved to Greece and all of them were born in Greece. They do not get birthright citizenship the way that it exists in the United States. The only reason they were able to get immigration passport or they they were able to get greek citizenship in order to travel to america was because Giannis was going to get drafted his family was rejected twice for immigration uh, uh to get legal status in greece so that they could travel to america and Giannis was going to go back to greece and leave the nba if the third time Giannis had failed or his parents had failed to get legal status because in Greece if you apply three times and you don't get status you can no longer apply again are they going to talk about that are they going to talk about how the third largest political party in Greece during the time of Giannis's childhood in the 2000s was basically the Nazi party and they had a whole campaign of kill immigrants and kill black people 
That was a lot of their campaign. People close to Giannis's family had been assassinated by these people who had been elected to power because it was a popular stance in Greece was anti-immigrant and anti-blackness. And these are same things that exist in America, except this is on a level that doesn't get talked about in America because it makes Americans uncomfortable. How are they going to be able to talk about it in Greece when we're talking about things of these sorts? And I doubt that Disney is going to go into this story the way that a transparent documentary style look at Giannis's life, like what Mirren Fader did in her book, is going to talk about Giannis Antetokounmpo and that story that they came from. And I don't want to do, I don't want to be victim of doing what I like to call quote unquote suffer porn of like, they literally did not eat for days. They literally, it's literally the truth. They were living for a time off of McDonald's and whatever meals they could get. And the reason that Giannis Antetokounmpo slept in the gym was not because of Giannis Antetokounmpo. And this was something that I didn't realize, like the stereotypical, I'm just going to sleep in the gym is not because I love basketball so much. I'm just going to sleep in this gym, wake up and go to work the next day, which is the pick up your bootstraps, American work ethic that we like to talk about. It was because Giannis Antetokounmpo was so depressed being in that housing situation that it was better for him to sometimes just not take the bus home and just sleep on a mat in a basketball gym 40 minutes away from where he lived. And I don't think Disney's going to tell that story properly and give the proper context for, hey, why is this the case? Because the Greek government did not enable, does not enable black people birthright citizenship and especially migrants from Africa to Greece. They actively try to not allow those people into Africa and actively work to undermine their rights the same way it works in America. I don't think that's going to be articulated properly in this documentary, and that's a real shame because, again, more people are going to get that version of the story that Giannis wants to tell than the actual story with detailed journalism and reporting. And you could argue that Giannis has the most accurate account of his life because Giannis lived through it in the first place. Giannis has always had the rose-colored glasses on his experience because, as detailed in the book by Mirren Fader, like, Giannis wants to have a good relationship with his home country. Giannis wants to be embraced and loved by Greece. And so he doesn't speak out against social and political issues in Greece. There's a famous time where they were talking about um, in 2017 or 18 about um, racial justice and Bleacher Report did this whole project and they talked to Giannis about how family members of his were killed by this political party in Greece and how race like Greeks, black uh, Africans living in Greece aren't able to attain rights and citizenship and the ability to vote in elections as a way to maintain and uphold power within Greece, the same type of shit in America, but same idea there. And when there was pushback by Greece, Giannis asked them to take down the video and there was never a trace of that video. And Giannis has always talked about how fondly he remembers Greece and how much he loves Greece as his home. And Giannis prefers that than bucking the trend because it's incredibly dangerous for Giannis to buck the trend in that country, the same way it's dangerous in America to a certain extent to be on the front lines fighting for racial justice. The same way that like Enos Cantor makes those statements about, I mean, and Enos Cantor's got all sorts of problems around that. Enos Cantor also is an active political prisoner from Turkey. And Enos Cantor flees to America, like goes to play basketball in America 
and can't go to Canada because of fear of persecution. He's being stopped at borders from traveling internationally. And this is a safe haven for Enos Cantor in that respect. And what's really, really difficult about that is it's tough for Giannis to, to speak out against Greece because as much as Giannis is one person that they can hold up of Greek pride and look at how Greece it helps and enables Africans and immigrants, they're also actively trying to undermine the rights of hundreds of other Greek, black Greek migrants. And this is a problem in this context because that part, I, I mean, maybe they'll surprise me there. I assume that the Disney documentary that's going to be viewed worldwide telling this story and is going to be Giannis's biggest opportunity to tell his story. And it's not based on real events or real accounts. It's just based on the people and his brothers as a whole making it to the NBA. I have a feeling that the rose-colored glasses are going to be put on around this story. And so I look at that documentary that, again, or that movie, I shouldn't say documentary, the movie that Giannis is making about his life, it's going to help people feel good and say, well, are we going to talk about racism in Greece? Are we going to talk about extreme abject poverty because the Greek government wanted to actively exterminate African migrants? Are we going to talk about the fact that they didn't get birthright citizenship in Greece? And when Giannis comes to America, I saw there's a quote from the, um, the trailer where he talks about, do you know anything about Milwaukee? And the actor who's playing Giannis says, no, but I'm eager to learn. Are we going to talk about the fact that when he gets to Milwaukee the first year, his family isn't able to come along with him? And Thanasis has to go back to playing in Spain because he, he's able to get citizenship to travel across the country. But Costas can't, and Alex can't, and Charles can't, and their mother can't. And they have to try for years and Giannis is, is getting ready to go back to Greece. And he's uh, the famous story of Giannis sending as much money as he possibly could from his NBA contract over to Greece because he was essentially working as a contract worker in America for the first year plus of his career. And only when Giannis Antetokounmpo gets access to the NBA and to the best skilled technicians in the world does he become the best player in the world because it's the first time he's ever been able to eat stably. There's a famous story in the book where Giannis Antetokounmpo goes to the doctor and when they send back results about his liver, they say, your grandpa is having concerns with his liver. And they're like, no, this is a 16-year-old boy. And the doctor is immediately concerned about this because Giannis Antetokounmpo was living off of McDonald's for three years and he would actively give up food to help his brothers and wouldn't accept food from other people because he didn't want other people to know that his family was living in such abject poverty and depression. And that's the story that I don't think they're going to tell in the documentary that gives a more accurate picture of like, this, these were cruel circumstances that they were being subjected to. You can come from poverty and still achieve a rags-to-riches story. When it's the government actively trying to exterminate you and trying to exterminate people that look like you, like the case was in Greece, where we're talking about abject poverty and they have no access to government resources because the Greek government decided that my African migrants born in the country still aren't allowed birthright citizenship and therefore they cannot get access to government food to government water to government housing or any of these circumstances like that 
because now you have the double jeopardy of race and the politics of race and race relations in Southern Europe and in America as a whole, because this is all an indictment of America as well. And you're talking about immigrants. That's when you have a double jeopardy story that I don't think is going to be articulated properly in this documentary that better reflects the situation that existed for Giannis Antetokounmpo and his family. So I hope that I'm wrong. I hope that the Disney story that's not a documentary, it's a movie, talks more about this. I know it's only an hour and a half long, and a lot of it is going to be a feel-good Disney story with Giannis Antetokounmpo's input on the situation. Giannis Antetokounmpo has not been a person who has gone deep into the well on standing up against racial and social, you know, racial injustice and social injustice and being a vocal person, nor in some cases, nor should he, because it's incredibly difficult to be in that situation. It's really terrible that we ask athletes to be these people because they're front facing figures. And it's, it's really messed up that Giannis has to be the voice in that respect. It'd be nice if he was, he's under no obligation to do so, especially with the international geopolitics that exist in Greece, where still the third largest political party in Greece is essentially the Nazi party. And that's really difficult to overcome when we're talking about a black migrant being held up as a status symbol for Greek success and for someone who loves his home country and sure wants more from his home country he can't do any more than he already is because speaking up against it would push would make him a pariah against a government that wants to hold him up when it's a symbol of Greek pride, but when it comes to actually making changes for people who aren't Giannis Antetokounmpo and his family, Greek government pretty resistant to that change because they tell the story in the book about people who grew up with Giannis who were black migrants playing basketball and they can't leave the country to go play basketball in other European countries or play in Australia. Because if you aren't giving something to the country, they're not going to grant you permission to leave. You are essentially a prisoner within your own country. And you can't play on the Greek teams unless you take up one of the two international player slots as well. Because Greek citizens make up most of the Greek teams. Each team gets two international players. But migrants who are born or parent children of migrants born in Greece who don't get access to birthright citizenship like they do in America don't get the chance to play for some of these teams. And in recent years Greek ha- Greece has actually moved towards um it, granting birthright citizenship um and it is being fought back and forth depending on who's in power. Um it was not the case for Giannis's kids or Giannis's, him and his brothers. For context, and this is actually a place where their story creates change, in the aftermath of Giannis's family not being able to get their citizenship from the government in order to travel to America with passports, Greece actually fought to have birthright citizenship passed. And it was passed in either 2017 or 2018. They granted birthright citizenship to anyone born in Greece and that's been fought by the new political party that or the new the new regime that's taken over in Greece because Greek elections happen a little more often and it's a chair system where like it's not a two-party system like it is in America but some ideologies kind of like work together to get legislation passed so it currently exists there's not a guarantee that it's going to continue existing down the road 
it's just it's a very new phenomenon that Greek has birthright citizenship that didn't exist for Giannis or anyone Giannis's age or even some people who like are Giannis's age that have children now still aren't granted birthright citizenship despite the fact that they're like three years or three generations living in Greece. So in that respect, it's a cycle that continues to keep immigrants in that immigrant status and deny them access to government resources, despite the fact that they were born in Greece and that they've been living in Greece their entire lives. And this is a problem that continues to persist across generations and generations. So Hopefully Disney talks about that and can possibly work to instigate real social and political change or even cultural change in Greece because cultural change will then ultimately lead to political change as long as the system is such that people are able to go out and vote and vote for change that actually gives rights to immigrants and to black people in Greece. Maybe it'll be the case, maybe it won't, but I hope that they use that to inspire that level of change i'm not sure if they will with the platform and i'm just basing it on past disney experiences hopefully they do maybe i'll be pleasantly surprised by how this story turns out and i will watch it because i'm just fascinated by Giannis in that respect even if it's the feel-good story so ladies and gentlemen thank you for stopping in here to the take it easy podcast we are going to have episodes every single day monday through friday going into the nba finals and the nba draft and whatever exists of football season and hockey season and connor mcdavid and nate mckinnon and whatever else we'll talk about with our friends here on this fine podcast drop a five-star review follow our instagrams that are now existent again it is all very very helpful And with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, take it easy. We will talk to you again tomorrow.